Hello. Uh, let me sip some Celsius. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, today I want to talk about my mom and a recent bout of sadness that I had when I was just thinking about her life from a new lens and how I got over that sadness. So as my sister and I had been playing more with the idea of PTSD and revisiting our childhoods and discussing parts of it together, I started to surprisingly think about my mom's life. I would think about my mom's life from the aspect of her as an individual, not um, is irrespective a word, irrespective of her being my mom, right? Just her as an individual. And I think part of that is now that I'm an adult, I'm actually her age. I'm a year older than she was when she had me. So I think it's that sheer age bridge now that is giving me this new perspective. Side note, coincidentally, my sister started thinking about my mom's life around the same time. <laughs> Sometimes I like to joke that she and I are telepathically connected, except separated by three years and, let's say, one meter, if that's the distance we happen to be having. But anyways, I started being really sad about my mom's life because I started to see it from its own timeline and just how much of a tragedy it is. It's so sad, and it made me extremely mad what she had to go through because it felt unfair that she unfairly had to go through all of that because I think of I think of her coming to America took college classes it broke my heart to later find in my I want to say teenage years her old college notebooks she was taking high-end math classes like uh, differential equations one my least favorite math class calculus I believe at least two I think it was calculus two and again, those classes, if I wasn't clear already, were all taken in America at LA Community College in English, her second language. Calculus is hard as it is, even in English. So when I think of her, I think of so much potential. And she was open-minded to American culture, as I, in my opinion, you should be if you're moving to that country. So I think of how much different her life could have been if she hadn't married my stupid, pathetic, malicious dad who scum of society, lazy, welfare, parasite. I overheard him telling my brother once that the way to get a woman is to basically trick them. Trick them into liking you and then trap them, and then once they're with you, you can go back to how you normally are. And she was beautiful, by the way. Absolutely beautiful. She was, I can only imagine, promised a life she wasn't given. Because my dad started tearing our house apart. And I think now that that's representative of how his mental health was deteriorating because we start with a normal suburban house and next thing you know, for some reason, he doesn't like the carpet. So he takes off all the carpet by himself. So there's, you know, unfinished staples. You just have tiles on the ground and not cute tiles. These are the unfinished tiles when you're still doing construction. He also didn't like the wallpaper. So he tears off the wallpaper. Wallpaper is hard to get rid of. So there are, so there are places that still have wallpaper on it. And it looks scrappy, but he didn't replace it with anything else. He just didn't like it. For some reason, he didn't like that cute little um, doorway. There was a doorway with, I want to say, you know how in olden time movies, those Western saloons have those wooden doors that come out. They look like cabinet doors and, you know, a cowboy will come in and it'll creak and he'll be like, howdy, and everyone's staring at him. The, we had those doors on our kitchen. I guess he didn't like those either, so he took those off. And... 
for whatever reason, I guess our cabinets started breaking. I don't know. He just tore them off. So our sink was pretty bare and exposed. And when it wouldn't stand anymore because you are exposing the wood under it and you wash dishes, the wood gets wet, it starts to rot. He just put concrete blocks that he found on the side of the road to support the sink. And the kitchen was my mom's place because she was the one cooking. No one would sign up for a life like that. No one would sign up for a house like that just to watch it get torn away by, I don't even know why he did it. Again, I really think it's his mental health, but she was promised a life she wasn't given. If that wasn't sad in and of itself, you add in intimate partner violence, bullshit like he would choke her and break her glasses. Chinese women wear jade bracelets. He broke them. The Chinese women back in that day, they get braid jacelet, uh, jade bracelets when they're kids. And they're too big for them when they get them. But they grow into them eventually so that their fists are too big so they cannot take them off. My mom had one for a few years of my life until hers was broken. She always had tons of glasses that she would cycle through because they were constantly getting broken. She would often have to revert back to her old glasses, the ones that she had before the current pair, because the current pair got broken. So you could see style-wise, her glasses went from, she was wearing 90 style, then I would see her wear 80 style. This one pisses me off too. I remember once my mom had cooked something, and for whatever reason, I don't remember it tasting bad, but my dad thought it was bad. And he just throws the plate on the floor and my mom's just standing there, head down, just taking the, you know, the verbal lashing, the shame. If you just truly imagine that, someone that you love, imagine someone you love, it takes time to cook a meal. Even if it's not the most elaborate meal, it takes time to cook. This person you care about spends their time, hours, making a meal. Husband comes home, decides it tastes like shit, and just takes one sip or one bite, and just throws the bowl on the floor. The bowl breaks, everything's on the floor, and you're standing there in shame. And if the shame itself isn't enough, then he starts just verbally abusing you. (sighs) I fucking hate him. He also isolated her from her family. We had to sneak out and meet my mom's family in private. And I was not old enough to truly understand what was going on. I knew it was kind of hush-hush, but I didn't understand why. So I don't know if I was the most careful about it because I was so young. But we would have to sneak out when he wasn't home to go visit her family because he did not like that they asked for a dowry, I guess. But that's traditional Chinese culture. Um, I think you ask for payment from the husband's family to pay for marrying off your daughter because now you're losing property but that's very traditional right and so for him to act all mad about that like fuck off it's not like you were very feminist at all and on top of that he didn't like them because they were Cantonese I think he was racist in that sense so here you have my mom 20s mid 20s marries this person eight years older than him he isolates her he cuts off her resources she has no job This is the pure definition of intimate partner violence that I learned about when I was doing the CASA training. And that pisses me off now, again, as I'm older and I, and I learned this and I realized how strategic he was, you know, when they finally got to a point where she thought she might divorce him, she had to come right back because 
all her resources were cut off. That's what intimate partner violence is. They cut you off financially, um, family-wise, friends, like every socially. So you have the, you have an immense amount of fear that you can't go because you don't know that, A, there's no one else out there to help you anymore. You've lost contact. Um, and you have this immense fear that you don't think you'd make it out there. So she ended up coming back. <sighs> and early in my life, my dad closes down his business. Uh, his excuse is that he wants to watch the children grow. Wow. What a lazy piece of shit. Watch the children grow. Mm. Applause, applause. You could have, you know, hired an employee, had someone kind of take over or just reduce your hours because you don't just watch children grow. Cause how are you going to fucking raise the children and pay for their expenses? Idiot. You don't watch children grow. You support them. You cut down your hours and spend more time with them, but you don't sit there passively to watch them grow. So we had no income. We literally had no income from probably when I was four or five all the way until nine, like a good amount of years. My dad would do a job here and there. Some people would come fix his, get their car fixed for probably dirt cheap, but that was far and few between. So yeah, we were very poor. To the point where my mom, when I'm nine, she decides to pick up not one, not two, but three part-time jobs to be the sole breadwinner. She has no degree and no skills because she's not a tradesman who, you know, she's not like a mechanic like my dad who can show up in a shop and say, hey, this is what I can do. She's, she ended up working at Farmers and then secretly she worked at State Farm, their competitor. She had to be hush-hush about that. And then her third job, was to be, um, I forget what they call them, supervisors at my school. You know, they uh, during lunchtime, they wear their vests and they blow whistles and they kind of supervise during research, recess. <sighs> that last job made me sad because I guess I was a little embarrassed because I knew my mom had an accent. Mm. Anyways, um... It was around that time she found out she had cancer. She was diagnosed with cancer when I was 9 or 10. 10, I think. I was in 5th grade. She beat it the first round. It came back with a vengeance. Stage 3 the next time. If you don't know, there's 4 stages of breast cancer. And she died when I was 13. So she died 3 years after her diagnosis. She died when she was 43. She died when I was 13. So she had me when she was 30. And when you think about that, that means I only really knew my mom in her 30s. Like, yes, three years towards the end of her life, but if we don't count that, I really only knew her in her 30s. A single decade. Such a short 10 years. When you think of a mom, you usually think of an elderly woman who's, you know, maybe 40s, but you think of 50s, right? And when you're getting married, you think of her in her 60s. The fact that my mother only existed in her 30s, that was a thought and realization that made me very bitter. It made me bitter because I started being bitter at all the people in the world who have moms and don't realize what they have. It made me very bitter to think about all the little things that other people have that they probably don't even know are special that I will never get to experience. Things like going to brunch together, you know, like adults now, you can get mimosas with your mom. Like I will never do that. Shopping with her. You know, just strolling around the mall together or even 
calling her and talking to her on her phone and giving her all my updates about law school, how law school is going and how I'm studying really hard and this is the job I have lined up and I'm thinking about running for Congress. I will never be able to have that. And it makes me angry when I think about those people who post those stupid asinine Mother's Day posts and Father's Day too. You know what I'm talking about. Instagram. People post these sloppy selfies, horrible angle. You can't even see everyone's face properly. And they write this little tribute about how great their mother is on Instagram. And really, it's a post trying to show your followers how filial you are. Because let's be honest, what kind of fucking baby boomer cares about the 157 likes you have on Instagram? No one. Baby boomers don't care about that. So get the fuck off Instagram. Stop posing and just go spend time with them in real life. So that's a side rant. I guess I was taking my anger and channeling it onto other people because I was so bitter about how sad I feel like her life was. So if I don't channel it to other people, then I blame my dad. I resent my dad for putting her in that position because I do blame, I do feel like it was his fault, right? And most of all, it makes me angry because I'm like channeling all this anger at a dead end, at a wall. There's nothing I can do about it because it's already happened. She's already dead. I I just, I'm mad at something I can't change. It's different from a situation where you can kind of, you know, if I'm mad at my brother who's still alive, maybe I can talk to him. But like, I can't change this, but I'm so mad about it. And so I started talking to my sister And this is when I found out, funnily enough, she was also thinking about this around the same time. And we both agreed. It's just, it's a tragedy. That's really what it is. It's a tragedy, my mom's life. It's a story that you read that has a bad ending and you never feel good about it because it's a bunch of loose ends and it doesn't give you any closure. So I'm sitting here feeling very frustrated and very wound up. And I realized like, this is not sustainable. I got to figure out a way to feel differently about this and cope with it and reframe it because I just otherwise I'm harboring too much anger and this is what I've come up with a couple things I can reframe it and zoom out a little bit to think of her life not singularly but as part of a bigger picture so let me explain what I mean zoom out and not think about her life but think about her legacy her legacy is in us her children So instead of thinking about her life ending, I instead think about her life through the lens of her legacy, through us. In other words, if I can live an amazing life, it's like the part two of her story. My life can be the happy ending for her life. This is different from thinking of it as a sequel. I'm not thinking of my life as a sequel to her life. I'm thinking of my life literally as the part two in the same booklet. Another thing I was thinking about, too, is she was a fighter. So if she were alive, she's much like me or I'm much like her. Pity does nothing for her. She's a fighter. She trucks through it. You know, she keeps going. You know, and and another example is she really hated panhandlers. That's one thing I did get to learn about her. We passed by some panhandlers on the way out from, I think it was Ralph's, because that was the grocery store down in SoCal. There was one sitting down outside of Ralph's when we exited and 
she mumbled something, I can't remember, but it was a negative comment. And I thought she was talking about the cashier. And then, <laughs> and then she, she didn't exactly clarify, but she kind of continued her mini rant. She was like, get a job. <laughs> and like, you can't fault her for it. This woman ended up getting three part-time, three jobs, not part-time. I think, um, I think farmers was full-time. I can't remember, but she got three fucking jobs. So you can't hate her for that. Um, she believed what she believed and she lived it. So when you think about it from that point of view, me exhausting all these emotions to feel pity for her tragic story, she wouldn't want that. To her, she would probably just bat that aside and be like, stop, useless. Because <laughs> it is a useless emotion for someone who has that fighter mentality. The other thing too is she did love us. She did love the four of us. And so I do truly believe that of all the horrible things that she endured, if she were alive, she would say, at least I could give birth to you guys. I really do feel that she would feel that way. She'll feel that way, especially when I run for Congress and become extra successful in life. But I'm already pretty decent in life. So I think already at this point, I think she would say that. And that leads me to the last um, narrative. So if I must think about her life as an individual life, irrespective of being my mom, and as the tragedy that it is, then this one's the hard one. Then I can think of her as the necessary sacrifice for the greater picture. Because if God had to make a sacrifice for somebody to be in this horrible relationship and have this horrible, stressful life, it had to have been her because no one else could have been stronger than her. For her to have lived through all of that, given birth to four fucking annoying kids, let's be honest. I'm not saying I'm annoying. I'm saying kids are annoying, right? Four kids and deal with all that financial stress, all that abuse, all that cut off of resources and still be a fighter to the end. Only she could have survived that and passed on her genes to give birth to two more fighters, me and my sister. I mean, I sure as hell did not get these genes from my dad. My sister and I joke now because she, uh, she really thinks that my dad does have mental illness and I, I see why. Um, I'm not disagreeing with her on it. I'm just more like letting her be the one to explore that. So she thinks he has borderline personality. And when she was picking up a book and reading about it, there's this book she got called Walking, is it Stop Walking on Eggshells? How to Reclaim Your Life from Someone Who live, Has Borderline Personality, something like that. She's reading it and reading all the symptoms. And she says, hey, this sounds like our little brother. <laughs> and it does. And so then we started having these light bulb moments. Of course, we're just armchair psychology diagnosing, but <laughs> we think, yeah, my dad probably had a mental illness, probably went to the fourth child, my little brother. And so there's also a saying in my family from the yes side of my family. So all my aunts married in because my dad's side mostly had brothers. So all the yes are the men and the wives all married in. They have this saying, all the yay men are weird. Isn't that fucking hilarious? My aunts say that. All the yay men are weird. And they are. They really are. Um, they're just oddballs. Like my uh, 
my second uncle is the coolest, but he's just like a weirdo. One of those quirky weirdos, harmless, but weird. My third uncle's a little weird too. And his wife literally said that about him, that all the Yemen are, have, are just weirdos. And then I think my last uncle, I believe he did have some sort of mental illness as well. So as my sister puts it, whatever's on that Y chromosome, I don't want it. So anyways, back to the point. Um, I mean, I sure as hell didn't get those genes from my dad. I sincerely believe that the only trait I got from my dad is probably his hideous face and his aggression. Apart from that, my work ethic, my uh, perseverance, I think all came from my mom. So it had to be her to give me those genes. And it had to be me to suffer for the loss of my mom and everything else I've had. Because just like few people are as strong as her, I do honestly believe few people are as strong as me. Because so many other people could have broken and wouldn't have created the value that I've created in life or created the success, I should say. And so that now takes me to another mini conclusion, which is I have to do something great with my life. Because if I have suffered this much just to be equal and, you know, try to play the same playing field as everyone else, I'm doing extra work for no credit. What I have to do instead is find a way to play at a level where my sad background actually differentiates me in a stronger way, which is hard to imagine because for most situations, having trauma in your background is actually a setback and it doesn't, it just creates more work for you. It's harder for you. It doesn't really help you. Um, you could argue, okay, they have higher EQ, but it's like, again, I think that's a very mm, superficial statement. Yes, you have higher IQ, but you also have a plethora of problems where your IQ, not IQ, your EQ is actually lower. And the way you behave is not the way normal people behave. And you have to fight against that. So I think to say, oh, well, you have higher EQ and self-awareness. I don't know if that's very helpful. (laughs) I don't know if that's like a very big gain. But if I get into a position like law, legal career, where I can help create laws, or I'm in some public arena where my story can connect with people or share it with people who don't know what that's like and use that to influence laws or create laws, that's a playing field much higher than just getting a normal job. And that's a place where my experience can now be a strength. I can use it to create productive conversation and productive progress. So no longer am I going to just hold this in and act like I've had a great life just to masquerade like every other normal person. Her life was too short. So the least I can do is not waste the life she gave me. I'm going to live a big life. Even if it's only 10 or more years that I have, I'm going to live the biggest life I can, and that will be my vengeance for her. Yeah, that's it. Hope that was helpful. Bye-bye.